to Fancy Town Crimes Podcast, a podcast about crimes in fancy towns told by middle-class broads. All right, well, hello, everybody. Hey, guys. This is Megan. And and this is Taylor. And it's Fancy Town Crimes, coming at you kind of live. Kind of live. We are here with each other. We are. And we are struggling a little because yes. we are not technologically savvy and nope. we have echo and confusion but hopefully you don't hear this because we've like done attempted recording recordings like four times so. yes hopefully not maybe we should take off i might be taking off my headphones because hearing all of this is a little aggressive so i think this will be better for us yeah i completely agree with you there and i'm going to turn down my volume so hopefully nothing really picks up so it's going to be an interesting episode for uh, you all and yes good luck friends <laughs> yes exactly we're gonna hope it ends up being good so we've had two weeks off which honestly has been so needed and it really has been. i i hope you have had a good two weeks off i hope so i like feel like we really needed a break it was like not that not that the like recording and what is like strenuous or whatever it's just like it's you know the research sometimes the research like can take a little while and like to have something to do every week when you have a gazillion things going on like we do we just we needed a little little breaky break and now megan's on summer vacation I was going to say, everybody needs a, a little vacation every now and again. And let me tell you, the yes. end of the year was stressful. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Plus, I also, I torture myself. I enrolled in another grad program. Yeah, why not? I have a quiz due today. Have oh. I started it? No, I have not. No. That's, that's going to be my project when we come back from car shopping. Oh, so, God. you know, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's all good. It's summer. Um. We're just surviving. This is this is survive girl summer. <laughs> I like that. I feel like I'm survive girl life is just my general state of being, honestly. <laughs> so how was the uh, the first Father's Day with the first time daddy o this weekend? It was good. It was uh it was very good. It was so cute. I took that time to um go and look back at all of the old videos of Jeff and Ellie um, and I made a little video that I put up on Instagram and oh my gosh it was just like watching those videos was so much fun and I it was so hard to make it 30 seconds because I could have made he's it. not just a 30 second dad no I could have it could have been like 30 hours honestly it was uh, but yeah I think it was good I think he enjoyed it it was very like it's it's a Jeff that was a Jeff kind of father day, Father's Day like one where you just like spend it like just the family and you're just hanging out out um, so it's really nice and how was your Father's Day with your dad it was good we uh we golfed which nice where did you golf um up in New Hampshire they're they're a part of a it's not a golf club what is it called is it a golf club. Golf club is what you use to hit a ball, right? <laughs> but a, a golf club is also a place where you go they're, to golf. They're like members at a a golf. A, I don't know. It's not a country club because okay. like we're not that fancy. But they call it a country club. You okay, know I mean? wow. So it. yeah, it was it was good. I drove the cart. Um, nice. I hit like two balls for you and then we uh we called it a day my sister and my dad were the ones who like really did the golfing so it was 
it was a fun time. I think my dad enjoyed it. It was probably one of the better Father's Days that he's had because he didn't have to sit at a grill and like, well, granted, he likes grilling, but yeah. even still, he likes golfing. So there we were. I definitely do not have golf attire, and I realized it that <laughs> yeah. morning because I showed up in no word of a lie, a crop top, leggings, and sandals. <laughs> And my dad was like, oh, you're dressed for the occasion. And I was like, this is all we're going to get because this is the best I can do for golf. Oh, my God. It is, like, an, a whole entirely different wardrobe. Like, for real, though. Well, thank God there's no, like, dress code because apparently at some yes. there's, like, I would have not been able to, like, they would have been like, what are you wearing? And it's, like, yes. all that I own, people. This is my exercise attire, aside from sandals. Yes. But, you know. <laughs> Pretty much every um every course I've ever played at has a golf um like a dress code requirement. So um I'm very glad that you found one that didn't because that they are like quite strict. Again, we ain't wealthy, so you know my parents aren't part of one of those really nice country clubs. It's like, do you have a club? Can you hit a ball? Great. You want to be a member? We'd love to have you. Please give us your money. Oh, goodness. Well, this week, uh, we are headed to, I'm, I'm very excited for your case. I guessed your case right off the bat. And I bet you anyone who's listening who is a true crime fanaroni um, is going to know exactly what this case yeah. is. So, oh, actually, wait, I totally forgot to tell you this. Oh, my God. I meant to, so yesterday, one of my friends texted me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember we talked about Ag- Aguardiente? Yes, 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 yes. yes okay. Yes, yes. So, she, I think her boyfriend speaks Spanish uh-huh. because she texted me, or she didn't text me, she sent me like a, a a video of herself. If this is a little choppy, it's because my neighbors are putting up new siding and we're outside, so. <laughs> so but she was there with Aguardiente and she had said something to me in Spanish that I can't understand because I've never taken Spanish in my life. I took French in high school. But I was like, oh, it took me like five minutes but five minutes later i was like oh my god she sent that to me because we talked about that on our columbia episode that and so is I was so really excited. funny that is so neat so thanks for that jordan i very much appreciated yeah, that we love that they, it, like any anytime that somebody listens and then they like share something with us that has to do with a case or something that we've done it's always so fun it's mm-hmm. like oh my god USA.com, Denver Business Journal, Zillow, yeah, yeah. Um, the Burgess Group Realty.com, and BoulderColorado.gov. Okay, so I'm going to send you a link, and you can't look at it just yet. I'll tell you when you can look at it. Okay. Be, you know me. I love I love looking at my homes. Oh, I'm so and excited. I found a good one. Okay, I'm not going to look at it yet. Okay, so Boulder is a city in Colorado located about 25 miles northwest of Denver, which is the state's capital. If you ever, anybody, have the opportunity to go to Colorado, go. Love it. Gorgeous. I still have not been. I would love, 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 love to go. I looked at moving to Colorado like three, four years ago. Like, actually seriously looked. Never found a job there. Thanks, Colorado. 
Um, I know. I remember when you were thinking about moving to Colorado, and I was like, I support you. You're amazing. I love you. Please don't leave me, though. <laughs> I mean, hindsight, I'm glad that I didn't move there. However, if I could ever own a vacation home there, yes. you better believe them. It's, it's just, it's stunning. The beauty is stunning there. Yes. Um, so it's nestled in the Boulder Valley where the Rocky Mountains meet the Great Plains. The city sounds like a song. Where the Rockies meet the plains. It's not. Um, the city is known for its flat irons, which are sedimentary rock formations tilted up on the foothills of the Rockies. Pearl Street is seen as the epicenter of Boulder. It has um, part of the historic downtown. Um, it's got shops, restaurants, live music, street performers, places we want to be. Love that. All in that. Yeah. So it's got something for everybody, apparently, on Pearl Street. Like, you can eat. You can drink. You can probably dance. You can watch a street performer. You can learn about history. I would just stay there the whole time. <laughs> There's so much to do. It's so little time. <laughs> so Boulder was named America's foodiest town by really? the food magazine Bon Appetit. Really? I had no idea. That's so interesting. I had no idea either until this morning when I researched it. Um, and it does host food tours. So, like, if you're not a foodie like myself, but you enjoy eating like myself, mm-hmm. um, you can go on a food tour and they will tell you everything you need to eat. It's probably really damn good. Love that. Um, so, Boulder Dining is known to be both health conscious and ecologically sustainable. With Along with healthy eating, Boulder is surrounded by thousands of acres of recreational space, which attracts hikers, bikers, not like, well, I'm sure like people like bikers and the Hells Angels probably like it too, but like mm-hmm. mountain bikers is kind of what they were going for, and rock climbers. And of course, in true Colorado form, it boasts great 420 traditions. Of course. For several years on April 20th, thousands of people gathered on the CU Boulder campus to celebrate and smoke weed before 4.20 p.m. In 2010, there were between 8,000 and 15,000 people in attendance. Wow. Discrepancies of the numbers come from media reports and administration who may have been trying to downplay the event. So the media was like, there was like a lot of people in the administration at the school was like, um, in 2012, the university tried to put a stop to the event by closing campus for the day, using fish fertilizer to discourage um, gathering on the North Quad, and having out-of-town law enforcement on hand to secure the campus. Wow. Okay, so, like, that year that I was talking about, 2010, there was, like, 11 citations. How bad, uh, not for nothing, but how bad can it really be with a bunch of stoners? I mean, you would think they wouldn't be doing really anything. Correct. They're just sitting there. They're eating. They're just, like, vegging they're out. straight up chilling. I mean, it's not like you have 8,000, like, coked out people that are no, running No, exactly. You know like, what I mean? It's a much different reaction. They're so, it's like, it's like 10,000 slugs just, like, hanging out. Like, they don't, they don't want to run. No. They don't want to, like, destroy things. They just straight up, actually, I shouldn't say slugs. It's like 15,000 sunflowers just yeah. laying out there. Oh. They just want to chill. What a nice, like, representation. Yeah. So, in 2015, the government basically gave up <laughs> and once again opened the park to visitors on April 20th. So, from 2012 to, like, 2014, they were like, no, let's try and contain this. And then they were like, fuck it, it's a bunch of stoners. Who the hell cares? <laughs> so, Boulder is considered to be an affluent, medium-sized city. With a population of 200,097, wait, 
297,218 people as of 2014. It has a median household income of 62,000 with 17% of the households earning over 150,000 or more. Wow. So when I first looked at it, I was like 62,000 doesn't seem to be like extremely wealthy. It's definitely over the like median income nationally, but Basically, this was from a study. So according to the Denver Business Journal, Boulder was ranked as the most affluent medium-sized city um, in the country based on a study done by G. Scott Thomas for the Business Journals in 2014. So they included factors such as household earnings over 150,000 or more, the percentage of the population, um, median household income, poverty rates, a whole bunch of other stuff in order to determine that ranking. So that's how they came up with that. Oh, wow. They're also looking at, like, the size of the population as well. So it's not like this is just the most wealthy place. Like, I think Washington, D.C. came up as the most wealthy place in 2014. But they looked at it based on populations as well. So now you can click your link. Looking at real estate for Boulder, I found a $14 million home that I am here for. It's so modern? Yes. Well, so I have been... I've been big on um, selling sunset again. I know we've talked about this prior. Mm. Wait, is this, is the new season no, out yet? It's, it's coming, all right. I think it's I saw coming. Yeah, and like these are the homes that they sell, and I feel like I know how to be a, a real estate agent now for like fourteen million dollar <laughs> homes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tour you through it. Please take me through. So it's valued at um, fourteen point two. And technically, it you know the the zestimate is only um, you know in the thirteens, but even still, we're gonna see what we can get in this market. So the um, it's been on Zillow for eighty eight days, which I mean fair because not a lot of people have fourteen million to throw no, at a home. For but sure. it is legit stunning. If yes. you scroll through the pictures, you're gonna see there's one photo of legit a desk like overlooking the foothills of the Rockies basically like the like the ceilings are like so they have these beautiful wood ceilings they're so pretty like usually I'm not like a big wood person but this like just plain like wood like wood color but this is like I mean this kitchen too this kitchen is stunning do they have a rock in their kitchen yeah it looks like they do it's just like a like a big boulder guys they just built the, wow. the house around the boulder and i'm here for it i'm living for this and it's like it's like a glass home too oh they have a theater yes they have a theater i will only buy 14 million dollar homes that have theaters that's that's the rule so i mean i know that this person is most likely not listening to this podcast because they have better things to do since they have 14 million dollars <laughs> but the rugs are so fucking tacky see they're so they're so tacky. You I'm need like, Megan as your real estate uh, agent to tell you that you need to get rid of those rugs, girl. <laughs> as your interior designer, as get. I have nothing hanging on my walls in my house. My mom's like, can you have something hanging on your wall that looks like a prison? <laughs> I know it does, Mom. I know. Oh, my God. The rugs. The rugs yeah. kill me. Like, what is that rug in the bedroom? The, okay, like, blue but rug. But that's the thing. Like, if you're buying a $14 million house, you don't want to have to replace the rugs. Well, no, they're like area rugs. I'm sure they'd go with the people. That's a good point. The staging is poor. Poor staging. Well, some of the stage, some of the staging's good, but some of it missed the mark. But yeah, it's it's stunning. It's got a, over eleven thousand square feet of space. Over eleven thousand square feet wild. of space, 
And Jeffrey Erickson is the one who's selling it. And, like, Jeffrey, sir, you're not going to have to work for the rest of the year. Like, this is going to be an amazing commission. You go, Jeffrey. Five bed, eight bath. Ooh, the Oh, my God. The estimated monthly payment, do you see this, is $61,000. Yeah. Oh, just, you know, uh, a cool 60000 <laughs> a month. Some people don't make that much in a year, and some of those people are teachers. So you want to know what's wild, though? So this property has been viewed over 14,000 times, and it actually has 528 saves. That is a ton. Like, who are you? People, Please. like, there apparently there's 528 people who either one are like us, and we're like, we want to see how much it sells for. Or they're like, but they saved it. Maybe I'm interested. Maybe I like wanna. Maybe I wanna see this property. I wanna buy it. That is okay. If you, if you're one of the people that saved it, please go to our Patreon. Like, please, I beg you. <laughs> <laughs> one dollar donation. One dollar. We'll shout you out on air. We'll tell people how rich you are. <laughs> That's incredible. So, a few articles that I read about Boulder suggested that it had a unique quirky or weird vibe which mm-hmm. i am here for living for I'm that boulderians mm-hmm. i don't know if that's, that's what, what they're called, called. <laughs> i'm gonna call them boulderians um so the drink of boulder so technically it's not like the official drink but this is the one that i found that i was like this is kind of cool and it fits the vibe well also an article told me it fits mm. the vibe um is the pickle rick the pickle rick pickle rick so, the drink was co-created by Joseph Buckley, who's a bar manager at the Wild Standard on Pearl Street. Oh. The drink was named after the show Rick and Morty. In one episode, Rick turns himself into a pickle. Rick. So, Pickle Rick. Pickle I think Rick. that's what the episode is called, too. Um, here are the ingredients. So, there, it's um, Dickel Tennessee Sour Mash. What? Four Roses Bourbon. Rittenhouse Rye Whiskey. Tennessee. Simple syrup, lemon juice, ghost pepper bitters, and cucumber, and then it's garnished with the cucumber as well. I am going to have to try a pickle rick. So, it's been compared to a whiskey sour cocktail, but obviously it's like, it's a cool whiskey sour cocktail. I'm into that. I would personally leave that to the pros, but please, by all means, if you try and create that, send it to us because we really want to see it. Obviously, they're not... They gave the ingredients because, you know, they're not going to give exactly how to make it. Because, mm-hmm. like, this is how they make their money, too. Which, you go wild standard. That seems really that. cool. So, if we ever go to Boulder, which every place we go, I'm like, uh, I want to go here. I know, right? I want to go to the wild standard on Pearl Street because they seem pretty freaking awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, if you make a pickle rick or if you go to the wild standard and you're listening to this pod, uh... Take a pic and tag us in your stories. I'd love to see what it actually looks like. Yes. Oh, we should tag the wild standard. Too yes, and, I just and see if see if they'll pay attention to it. Yeah, I just wrote them down in my notes. So I'll make sure to to tag them so you guys know where to go and try a pickle rick. Yes. And also make yourself a whiskey sour. You do you. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. I love whiskey sours, honestly. I know. So good. So good. Well, okay, if you hadn't guessed it. What case are we doing today? So today we are covering the murder of John Benet Ramsey. I know. Never would have known. Never know. We're doing it, guys. We're doing it. So okay. So I knew I wanted to do something that was all unsolved. Um, and so as soon as I searched unsolved crimes, um, John Benet was the first one that came up, and I have been wanting to do this case for a while it's honestly one of the cases that got me interested in true crime um we were 
you know, young when this happened. And I mean, Jean Benet, she's older than us, correct? She's a year older than us. Yeah, I was gonna say this. We were really young. Yeah, we were really young, and so um, yeah, because this happened in 1996. So Megan and I were five, but I remember like all of the media coverage of this um of this story you really i do because i had a fear of basements that's where my fear of basements came stop. from stop yes why did your parents just let you watch it must the news? have i have no idea it must have been on in the background or something uh, okay that makes sense i'm not i'm not dissing your parents they're great people <laughs> but yeah it um it must have been on in the background or something and um to this day i still have a fear of basements because of this crime it's like so wild that something that ha- like something like that can really just infiltrate your own life it's not that wild though so okay it's it's there's a lot to this case and i did as much research as was feasible um because like i said there's a lot to this case oh you could you could research this for 7 years straight absolutely and so i kind of picked and chose what i was going to tackle um there's so much more uh, but this is kind of what I got. So my sources for today are Crime Museum, Biography.com, Rolling Stone, Pop Culture. Um, and so let's hear a little bit more about John Benet. So she was named after her father, uh, John Benet, and her father, Patricia, also called Patsy. Wait, so, she was named after? The, how was she named after the two of them? So her middle name was Patricia. So she was... John oh, John Benet is her first, first name. name. John Benet, Patricia Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, John Benet. Little windy. Little windy, guys. Uh, so, yes, her full name was John Benet pa- uh, Patricia Ramsey. So, um, sh- so she was named after her father, John Benet, and her mother, Patricia, called Patsy. Um, she was born August 6, 1990, in Atlanta, Georgia. She was the youngest of two children. So, yeah, second question. Her brother was older, correct? Little bit of a slap in the face that as a younger child. Oh, my God. Okay, we all of a sudden, we have a hurricane in Megan's backyard. The chairs just moved. I'm really sorry. They just flew flew across the deck. Brandon's very concerned. Very concerned about this. I I don't know where this wind came from. No, but, like, in, well, we're close to the beach, but. Insulting to the first child that they're like, "Mm." you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of The Office where (laughs) Andy is like, his younger brother's name is Walter Jr. And he's like, I was Walter for a while. And then my my brother came along and they thought he better embodied the Walter Jr. name. So they renamed me to Andrew that they found out of a baby book. That's what it reminds me of. Like. It's so poor kid. I know. He, I mean, Burke. I know he could potentially be. Yeah. So Burke, um, yeah, I mean, John Bonet was named after both of her parents. And Burke was, I'm not sure where his name came from, but it was not after his parents. So Burke. <laughs> um, so she was the youngest of, of two children. Her older brother, Burke, was nine at the time of her murder. John Bonet was an outgoing Southern girl who enjoyed being the center of attention. By age six, she had already won multiple pageant titles thanks to her bouncy blonde hair, poised smile, and glittery costumes. And so, epic faces full of makeup. Yeah. 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 That's a whole uh, child beauty pageants are a whole other can of worms. It's so much. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot. 
Um, her father was a multimillionaire businessman, and her mother, uh, who was also a former beauty queen, Miss West Virginia in 1977, doted on their daughter in every way they could. Their luxurious home was plush with everything John Bonet needed to live a comfortable life. Unfortunately, that is um, not what happened for this poor little thing. So, in the early morning hours of December 26, 1996, John and Patsy Ramsey awoke to find their six-year-old daughter, John Benet, missing from her bed at their home in Boulder, Colorado. Patsy and John had woken up early to prepare for a trip when Patsy discovered a ransom note on the stairs demanding $118,000 for their daughter's safe return. Um, so I'm going to go through the entire case. I'm going to go through the timeline, and then I'm going to tackle um, some potential suspects, uh, as well as some, like, random things that either I have found through just years of knowing about this case or other random research. But first, I'm just going to go through the whole case, and then we'll, we'll tackle some of the individual pieces. So despite the note's warning to not involve the police, Patsy immediately called them, as well as friends and family, in order to aid in the search for John Bonet. Police arrived at 5.55 a.m., and found no signs of forced entry, but did not search the basement where her body was eventually found. So before JonBenet's body was found, there were many investigative mistakes made. Only JonBenet's room was cornered off, so friends and family roamed the rest of the house. Oh my god. Picking up things and potentially destroying evidence. Wait, how come friends and family were over? They, so she, Patsy, called family and friends as well as the police. I don't know why, but she did. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the Boulder Police Department also shared evidence they found with the Ramseys and delayed conducting their in, their in, um, their in, formal interviews with the parents. So at 1 p.m., so the detectives have been there since 5.55 a.m., the detectives instructed, instructed John Ramsey and a family friend to go around the house to see if anything was amiss. The first place they looked was the basement, where they found John Bonet's body. John Ramsey immediately picked up, uh, picked up his daughter's body and brought her upstairs, which unfortunately destroyed potential evidence by disturbing the crime scene. Huge no-no. Yeah. Huge no-no. I mean, on the one hand, it's like you're devastated, you're on yes. autopilot, but yes. huge no-no. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, I can't even, yeah, I can't even fathom, like, so during the autopsy, it was discovered that John Bonet had died from asphyxiation due to strangulation, in addition to a skull fracture. Her mouth had been covered in duct tape, and her wrist and neck were wrapped with a white cord. Yeah. Her torso had been covered in a white blanket. There was no conclusive evidence of rape, as no semen was found in the body, and um, her and her vagina appeared to have been wiped clean. Oh my god. Although... Um, a, um, as though a sexual assault had occurred. So, the makeshift, uh, the makeshift garret was made using a length of cord and part of a paintbrush from the basement. The coroner also found that um, that what was believed to be pineapple in John Bonet's stomach. Her parents do not remember giving her any the night before she died, but there was a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen which had her nine-year-old brother's Burke's fingerprints on it. 
However, this meant little since time cannot be attributed to fingerprints. Um, the Ramses maintained Burke was in his room all night, and there was never any physical evidence to reflect otherwise. There are two popular theories in the case. Um, and I think before I dive into that, I want to go over the timeline um, that we have. Um, so the timeline is obviously unclear because of so many factors, because of all of the disruptive evidence, the people walking through the house. Um, but this is what we have. So um, December 23rd, 1993. So this was three days. No, 93? No, 96. Uh, oh, no, this is 93, so this is three years. Okay. Strangely, December. A 911 call is made from the Ramsey's house. Three days before the, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, this, they, there's a typo here. Sorry, it was 1996. So this is three days before. The body is found, and 911 call is made from the home. But, uh, but on Jan January 10th, it's reported that it was likely a mistake made by a drunk party guest. I've made a lot of mistakes in an intoxicated state. I have never dialed 911 from what I can imagine is a landline. That's the thing. It's not like it's like our phones right now that we have like there's emergency like settings and stuff where like that can happen where like you can accidentally call 911. But yeah, from a landline, you can't just accidentally call 911. Anywho, I digress. So the day before, so December 25th, 1996, the Ramseys attend a Christmas party at a family friend's house. John Bonet gets a bike for Christmas after attending a Christmas party hosted by family friend uh, Fleet White. The Ramseys go home and John Bonet goes to bed. Some theories say she snuck back downstairs and fought with her brother over a late night snack of pineapple. Um, indeed, the un undigested tropical fruit was, was found in her stomach. So this was that night. So then December 26th, so this is when she goes missing. So 5.30 a.m., Patsy gets up to make coffee. She discovers a two-and-a-half-page handwritten ransom note on the back stairs leading to the kitchen um, that says her daughter was, has been kidnapped, according to the Denver Post. Um, and quote-unquote, you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be delivered in $100 bills and, re and the remaining $18,000 in $20,000. $20 bills. Why 118? So, well, here we go. I'm going to answer that oh, question. Okay, for well, you. thanks. You're welcome. What a weird number. So, oddly, that was the exact amount of John's Christmas bonus. The note also said to not call the police, but Patsy called 911. So, before 6 a.m., It's so weird to record like this. Like, I feel like I'm like, I don't know if I want to look at you or look at I you know, here I... or look at you here. Or like, I, I never realized how, like, it's very conversational when we do it, but mm -hmm. it's also, like, not conversational in the same aspect. It's, it's like you, it's like you telling me a very lengthy story. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I agree. It's a little bit different. Can I do one more cut and then I think we're good? That doggy over there is so cute. Georgia. Georgia. He's been like, this has a beast, this guy's doing the siding. 
They've been there for a long oh, okay. time. They've been there for like a couple weeks, oh, and that's yeah. all they've done. But like he's been like, I've been watching him just like going up and down these ladders. Like the way he has to traverse to go up and down to get back here is like, it's crazy. But yeah, the guys working are good, but I don't know. I think that guy owns the company, and I'm like, probably oh, just comes in and stares. You do. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, that's usually probably what they call do. Probably calling be like, hey, what are you doing? They just come and they stare. Okay, here we go. All right. Um. Okay. So before 6 a.m., police officer Rick French arrives at the home and does a search. He pauses by the door that John Bonet was later found behind, but doesn't open it. I don't know why they didn't go into the so basement. Wait. This is the father? This is the police officer. Oh. Rick French. So, I mean, okay, let's play devil's advocate. It kind of seems like in probably this super wealthy part of town, there's like no murders. But on the flip side, where the hell is Joe Kenda? We need Joe Kenda. You know Joe Kenda, right? I don't. What's Joe Kenda? Oh, my God. On ID. Oh, ID. ID. I oh, need to get on I it. I love Joe Kenda so much. He's like, I'm going to be so sad if anything ever bad comes out about him because it's just oh. going to devastate me. But, like, he's legit the best. But I think he was in Colorado Springs. Oh, which okay. I is not, like... I mean, who, who the fuck knows? Colorado to me, I'm like, I know three towns, and yeah. I think they're right next to each other, right. but, you know. So, early afternoon, the first detective on the scene, Linda um, Arndt? Arndt? I don't know. I can never pronounce anything. Linda. <laughs> Linda? Linda. Pulls aside John and uh, White, so the friend, White, who had come over to console his friends. Fleet White? I think it was Fleet White, yes. What a name. I know. So, Arndt tells them to do a top-to-bottom search of the home. I don't know why you would tell... So, I understand that they need the homeowner to go through the house and see if anything seems amiss, but they also need to be accompanied. Like, they can't just be, like, going, traipsing through the house by themselves. Again. Yeah, I know. Rich white people. Yeah, I know. This, rich white people. Yeah, right. This, and uh, that, I mean... That's the only way I can think of it. Absolutely. Rich white people in the 90s. Yeah. Rich white people don't do bad things to their kids. Yeah. It's just horrible. Horrible. Which, for the record, is, is not my opinion. But yeah. um, I'm just, I'm saying it as, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's why. That's the thought process. Yeah. Yes, totally. So it was during this search that John opened the door to the basement, um, to the basement's spare room. So, um. I'm sure I haven't. I have spent a really long time since I've seen pictures of their basement, but I'm sure it wasn't like my basement. That is, oh, it was like, a finished, nice basement. I'm sure. Yeah, and so they had like a spare room. Yeah. Um, so that's ironically where the Christmas presents had been hidden. So also take note: this was the day after Christmas. So it was twenty six. It was twenty six. Okay. So um, and and this is where he saw John Bonet's body. Wait, were there still Christmas presents there? Like, they didn't give them their presents on the 25th? No, no. I think they were just saying, like, ironically, it was the day after Christmas, and so she was in, that was where she was Oh, uh, okay, okay. It looked like she had been strangled, and her mouth and neck were covered with duct tape. He picked he picked up the body and ran screaming upstairs. So, Arndt later moved her body closer to the Christmas tree upstairs by bringing her, um, by bringing her upstairs and leaving the basement door open. By bringing her upstairs and leaving the basement door open, much of the evidence became ta- tainted, of course. So now it's 10.45 p.m. The Boulder County coroner's team removed the young girl's body from the house. 
So two days later, on the 28th, the family goes to Boulder's police station. They willingly give their hair, blood, and handwriting samples. The police later state that John's grown children, John Andrew and Melinda, were out of town when the murder occurred, so they are not suspects. I didn't know he had older kids. Yeah, I didn't realize before doing this that he had, yeah, that he had other children. So, just days after the murder, the Ramseys go back to their former hometown of Atlanta. December 31st, the six-year-old is laid to rest in Marietta, Georgia, next to her older half-sister, Elizabeth, who had died in a tragic car accident in 1992. Oh, God. About 200 family family and friends attended the ceremony at the family's church. So, this was only four years before... John Binet was murdered. That her um, older half sister died in this car accident. I mean, a car accident is hard to blame on, unless you're going to tell me some wild evidence. No. <laughs> no, no, of course. But like the tragedy. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. No, fair enough. So the next day, January 1st, the next day, January 1st, John Binet's parents give a very difficult 45-minute long interview to CNN from Atlanta, where they are now staying with family. So while the Boulder police had been reassuring the community there wasn't a murder on the run, uh, bleh, bleh, excuse me, I'm going to read that over because there was a lot of stuff that just happened. His hat blew off, it hit the dog, <laughs> now there's drama, this man is like, up there trying to put his thing on and oh my god please don't fall off that ladder can you leave leave this oh my god if we might have to put up just this part of the video because like this whole time we can just see him in the background like (laughs) up there working on the thing and like just please don't fall off in our podcast okay so while the boulder police had reassured the community there wasn't a murder on the run patsy said on television there is a killer on the loose if I were a resident of Boulder, I would tell my friends to keep their babies close to Patsy, them. Patsy, what the fuck? There's someone Dude. out there. Yeah, I know, right? Didn't the handwriting come back and it was, like, really fucking close to hers? Well. Douchey. We douchey. Yeah. That's fucking douchey. Yeah, we okay. Will, we will find out. And I'm not, like, blaming her, per se, but that's douchey. Yeah, it wasn't. We don't need hysteria. Because then that just, it, that's going to make it worse. Like, we need to figure out, we need to figure out this murder. And so we can't be, like causing a, a mass hysteria about this happening. So side note, in this video, my shoulders look kind of great right now. Look at you shoulders, girl. I've been working out my shoulders a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. Oh, look, look, look at that. the shoulders. Look at that. Get the shoulders. Bad posture. And get the shoulders. I know. I need shoulders. to, like, I need to pop my shoulders back. Whoop. Okay, I'm sorry for the people watching on YouTube. Good, good reminder to <laughs> pop my shoulders back. So um, she added America. Oh, gosh. Oh, Jesus. What the fuck did she add? <sighs> America is suffering because of white supremacy? <sighs> no, because, that's not what you're going with? Okay. Because they have lost faith in the American family. So oh, my. Okay. All yeah. right. This is too. Okay. Yes. Listen, I'm sorry that your child died. And, like, granted, so much has come out. It potentially was you covering it up. If it wasn't, if it wasn't, that is devastating. Yeah. But sure. oh my fucking god, girl. Come yeah. on. Yes. So this was she was citing the example of the mystery of what had happened with O.J. Simpson. She the, said, mis- the, mystery. the mystery. Oh yeah. Are, what could have possibly dude, happened? Are, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. This no. You could have no. picked so many better correct potential like 
this we, poor family, this yes. poor family. OJ, come on. Well, you can see what her comparison point was. Another wealthy person. like that. Who did it? Who yeah, literally did it? So that was the worst people. fucking example you could have made. Like, maybe that's popping out of my head. I'm so irate. <laughs> <laughs> her eyes are just like squeezing out so her contact <laughs> just like pops up. She said, we are a Christian, God-fearing family. We love our children. We would do anything for our children. Yeah, of course. Everybody would do anything for their children. Spare me. You have to be Christian to love your children. Yes, you do. Spare me. You know? So, January 2nd, um, a team of five detectives from Boulder fly to Atlanta. Investigators were shocked that Ramsey's granted the TV interview since they had claimed to be too emotional to talk to the police. Oh, my God. I feel less and less bad for you by the second. Yep. So January 3rd, detectives announced that the note was written on a pad of paper from inside the house, meaning it was likely written after the murder. John and Patsy returned to Boulder. Boulder cops also go to Michigan to search through a summer house that the family, that the Ramsey family owns. January 6th. After the Christmas and New Year holiday, class resumes at John Benet's former school. Teachers and counselors help the young children try to understand what happened, even though it continues to be a mystery. So January 8th. Reportedly, there is evidence that the person who wrote the ransom, ransom note first practiced it on another piece of paper. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen. So that evidence has to be like, you found another piece of paper with mm-hmm. it written. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, like, throw it out in the garbage outside. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for people who murder people of to course, get away with it. Because, but honestly, if it was somebody in the house, clearly they got away with yes. it. It wasn't hidden well. So February twenty seventh. So this is you know a couple months later. The alibi of John Andrew, the half brother, is questioned. So he's reexamined, even though he was allegedly out of town when it happened. I mean, I don't blame the 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 detectives. Like, you got to go through everybody. Yeah, like, you do. You just got to talk to everybody. So, March seventh, a handwriting analysis eliminates John, but not Patsy. Based on expert analysis, detectives confirm that John didn't write the ransom note, but say there is a chance Patsy may have. Well, here's my thing too. It's obviously not like, despite what Patsy says, it's not some random. Let's go with let, let's just let's just ride out her logic. It's not some random atheist, God hating, mm-hmm. Christian hating fucking person who knows exactly that John Ramsey made one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars in a bonus check. It's not. It's somebody who knows exactly knows. how much he made. Absolutely. And unless he's out there, which I don't know him, maybe he is. Unless he's out there, like <laughs> you want to see my check. Yeah. Here it is, 118k. Yeah. Like, come on. I know it, it. It probably is a very small circle of people who actually knew that exact amount. Yeah. So on March 8th, the police head back to the Ramsey's home in Michigan. Um, they reportedly are looking for unrehearsed handwriting samples to see if Patsy wrote the ransom note. Which makes sense because mm-hmm. if you know if if they're testing your samples and you, they make you write something like. If you actually wrote the ransom note, you're going to, like, change your handwriting. Mm-hmm. So April 3rd, while there have already been a DNS a DNA test done by the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, a secondary one was done by Maryland's Cellmark Laboratories. So uh, April 19th, 
this is when John Bonet's parents become the prime suspects. So John and Patsy become the prime suspects of the investigation. Um, I mean, obviously, you have to focus on the parents. I mean, same thing when, you know, a husband dies or a wife dies, you right. can focus on the partner. I mean, it just makes sense. So April 30th, Patsy is questioned for six and a half hours. Formal interviews are conducted with John for two hours and Patsy for six and a half hours. These new statements replace the initial ones made right after the murder. So May 2nd, the, um, John and Patsy talk directly to the local press. John stumbles over his daughter's name and addresses the rumors of her possibly being uh, molested, calling those, quote-unquote, most hurtful innuendos. Um, Patsy says, I'm appalled that anyone would think that John or I would be involved in such a uh, hideous and heinous crime, but let me assure you, I did not kill John Bonet. So, I mean, I get it. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't do it, 100%. But the thing is, like, you need to know you need, you're going to be investigated. Correct. And, and thoroughly investigated. Thoroughly investigated. As you, I would want them to thoroughly investigate me. Like, please. So, on May 14th, the DNA comes back. Um, sources report that there are no surprises in the results of the DNA test, but won't specify what that means. So, July 12th, um, John Bonet's bedroom furniture is moved to Atlanta. Um, her belongings are moved across the country on a moving truck. What? Yeah, I don't know. It's a little weird. Like, I get, you know, wanting her stuff, but, like, there's still an ongoing investigation. Maybe don't take the furniture. I don't know. So did they just, like, move to Georgia? Was that just a thing? They just Yeah, they moved back to uh, where she was Marietta. born to be closer to family. So in 2014, um, July, oh, my goodness, July 14th, um, the previously sealed autopsy results are released. They confirm, they confirm a deep ligature around the victim's neck and another right around her right wrist, evidence that she was bound and strangled. And also say that blood and abrasions were found in her vaginal area. Oh. Yeah. And that she was struck on the head violently enough to cause bleeding and an eight and a half inch fracture to her skull. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it was pretty brutal. So January 15th. So now this is, this is 1998. So this is, um, two years later, three years later. So now the, the well, year and a half, right? Because January, yeah. Yes, exactly. A year and a half. The Ramsey's asked to review evidence before giving more interviews to the police. They request their request is rejected. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Like you need to just be ready to give interviews. I mean, you're like talking to the press, like nobody's fucking business. Yeah. So you should be able to have no problem talking to the police. Absolutely. So January 29th. Um, two months after the police requested the parents hand over the clothes they were wearing the night of the crime. Okay, really though, what what good is that going to do? Like they haven't washed their clothing. Two months later, <laughs> absolutely. The Ramseys turned in two shirts and a pair of pants and a sweater, but that means nothing at this point. That should have been turned in the night that it happened. Correct. So now, Mark they, honestly, the police probably sat there, and at first they seemed like a very nice, again, yeah, white rich couple. You couldn't have done it, and then I think they probably backtracked and went, "Oh shit." Oh, shit. Absolutely. Okay, there's something bigger at play here. Well, Absolutely. now it's too fucking late, dude. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So, March 12th, investigators formally call for a grand jury investigation since 15 months have already passed since the murder. So, June 3rd, 
the case's lead uh, lead investigator, Mark Beckner, says there are significant results from the 1,058 pieces of evidence taken from the home, but details are not shared. So, June 10th to the 12th, John Bonet's older brother, Burke, who was nine at the time of the crime and the only other no- person known to be in the house that night, is also questioned for the first time. He's now 11. For the first time, he's being questioned. I understand he was nine, but he was there. So, August 6th, whether, you know, unless, yeah. Anyway, so, August 6th. Denver Detective Steve Thomas resigns. He wrote an eight-page resignation letter saying the Hunter's office has crippled the case since elements have been thoroughly compromised. Oh. Yeah. Governor Roy Romer inquires as to whether he needs to step in. He eventually does. Sir, yes. I mean, come on. The answer is (laughs) obvious. The answer was yes two years ago. Yes. So, August 19th, family friend White asks, asks to have someone other than Hunter assigned to the JonBenet case. Why the friend is asking? I have no idea. Because the friend probably doesn't trust the parents. August 20th. Originally, the Ramsey had said Burke was asleep the morning his sister was discovered and missing. And didn't wake up until the police arrived. However, in the 911 tape, there has now been enhanced that has now been enhanced, Burke's voice is reportedly heard in the background. September 15th. The grand jury begins the investigation. September 24th. Another detective quits. Citing too much focus on the Ramsey's parents, homicide detective Lou Schmidt uh, quits and says in his resignation letter that a very dangerous killer is still out there. This gives the Ramseys the fuel they need to convince authorities to shift the focus of the investigation. Okay. Do you really quit, though, because no. you disagree with, like, if you, I don't know, you would think, like, if you, if you really believed that there was somebody else out there, you wouldn't quit. You would try and find investigative yeah. whatever. But at the same token, I can kind of see quitting because no one's taking the Ramseys seriously sure. either. You know what I mean? Like, but, but I don't the know. But the thing is, though, they haven't ruled them out. That's the thing. Like, I can see being like, being like, they won't, they won't give up on the Ramses. Like, they just keep focusing on it. But nothing they have done so far rules them out. Like, there well, are so many things that make it obvious that they were, that they might have been part of it. Well, when you like exclusively believe that they're innocent, because yeah. I don't know, you like know them. I mean, who knows the same yeah, relationship? Know, to absolutely, them, you know? very good point. Like, you might know them personally. I'm sure it was, you know. So, October 13th, um, the grand jury starts hearing the case, learning about forensic evidence like DNA, hair, and fibers from the scene. They also tour the home, family's home in Boulder nine days later. So, October 20th, John faces Stephen Mills in court. Two stories in the National Enquirer had said an anonymous source said John believed photographer Stephen Mills killed John Bonet. Fucking National Enquirer, Jesus right? Christ. John goes back to Colorado to face Mills in the civil case. Okay, so December 3rd, more family DNA is collected. Almost two years after the killing, DNA evidence is requested of five Ramsey family members. Though they are not suspects, investigators simply want to try to identify who the DNA in the house belongs to. Fair, they need to rule people mm-hmm. out. Give me your DNA. All right, January 28th, a teddy bear takes center stage. 
Investigators appealed to the online community to try to find information about Santa Claus teddy bear that was reportedly found in John Minnie's bedroom. They hope by finding the manufacturer and where it was sold, they can link more dots. I don't really understand that. Um, I don't know if like it was not her bear and that's why, or and like it was found in the room. I'm I'm not clear on that one. So March 18th, um, another resignation. Um, Ardent, so Linda, resigns because of all the criticism. Okay. Okay. So May 19th, Burke is no longer a suspect. Now 12 years old, Burke is secretly questioned by the grand jury, and he is officially declared a witness only, not a suspect. September 13th, Detective Arndt says he uh, knows who he says he knows who killed John Binet. In an interview on Good Morning America, Arndt says she knows who the killer is, but she won't say who it is. Probably because she doesn't have enough evidence. Probably. I do kind of wonder, like, with all of the resignations, I, a piece of me wonders if there is somebody up higher mm-hmm. that's basically, like, pressuring them out. And so resignation is better than getting fired because that, that happens. Some yeah. presented with, we're going to let you go or you can resign. Yeah. Uh, very good point. So September 30th, John Benet's half-siblings testify. So John Andrew and Melinda, who had already been cleared in March 1997, testify in front of the grand jury. So October 13th, the district attorney says there's no, there is not sufficient evidence to charge anyone in the murder. March 17th, the Ramses publish a book. Mm-hmm. Of course, let's. This is this is 2000 now. Why, guys? Oh, it's Seven like years later. Happening off of your daughter's. Yeah. It was bed. called the death of innocence. Um, the death of innocence. I didn't fucking do it. Yeah, that's a good title, right? So March twentieth, two thousand, Patsy, Patsy, and John hold another press conference. Um, they announce the lie detector tests confirm they are innocent in the death of their daughter. I'm sorry, this is like Maury. The lie detector test determined yes. that was a lie. Yes. Invest. <laughs> however, the test wasn't run by the FBI and not acceptable to investigate. What was it like an at home? Like, Probably. oh, I took my blood it? pressure, and guess what? I didn't lie, and I was also the test administrator. Exactly. So June 20, 24th, 2006, Patsy dies of cancer. Um, with no answers in sight at the time of her death, John Benet's mother um, passes away at 49 from ovarian cancer. Um, so, yeah, not, not great. She had been diagnosed in 1993. Oh, okay. So her mother is buried then next to John Benet. Um, so September 12th, 2016, after 20 years, John Benet's brother, Burke, sits down for an interview with the Bill. Oh, I heard about this. Yep. It probably was. So he reveals no answers. He says it probably was some pedophile in the pageant audience, um, which he said this twice. Who knows about the $118,000 bonus? Yes. So, okay. So now to the two popular theories in the case. So the family theory um, and the intruder theory. So these are the... The two popular theories. There's the family theory and the intruder theory. The uh, investigation focused heavily on the Ramsey family. Um, the police felt the ransom note was staged as it was unusually long, written using a pen and paper from their house, and demanded the almost exact amount of John had received for his bonus earlier that year. Additionally, the Ramses were reluctant to cooperate with police, though they later said this was because they feared the police would not conduct a full investigation and target them as easy suspects. Yeah. 
However, all three members of the immediate family were questioned by investigators and submitted handwriting samples to compare to the ransom letter. Um, both John and Burke were cleared of any suspicion of writing the note. Although much was made that Patsy could not conclusively um, be cleared by her handwriting samples. Despite a larger pool of suspects, the media immediately focused on their parents and spent years um, under the harsh limelight. Um, so in 1999, Colorado grand jury voted to indict the Ramseys on child endangerment and obstruction of a murder investigation. However, the prosecutor felt that the evidence did not meet the beyond the reasonable doubt standard and declined to prosecute. Interesting. Um, so then there's the intruder theory. Um, had lots of physical evidence to support it. There was a boot footprint found next to Javanese's body, which did not belong to anyone in the family. There was also a broken window in the basement, which was believed to be the most likely point of entry for an intruder. So this is confusing to me because in all of the other um, documentation and research I found, it said that it did not seem like there was any sort of intruder. There was nothing, no forced entry. But then we hear about this broken window. I don't know. So additionally, there were DNA from drops of blood from an unknown male found on her underwear. Oof. Yeah. The floors in the Ramsey's home were heavily carpeted, making it plausible for an intruder to have carried Jamini's uh, downstairs without waking the family. One of the most famous suspects was John Carr. He was arrested in 2006 when he confessed to killing John Benet by accident after he had drugged and sexually assaulted her. Carr was um, eventually dismissed as a suspect after it was revealed that no drugs had been found in John Bonet's system. Police could not confirm he was in Boulder at the time, and his DNA did not match the profile generated from the samples found. Okay, so he's definitely out. Yeah. Much of the recent investigation in the case revolved around DNA profiles developed from the sample found in her underwear and the touch DNA later developed from her long johns. The profile from her underwear was um, entered into CODIS in 2003, but no matches have been identified. And they tested this against, I hate to say it because it's so gross, but against her father and her brother, correct? It would appear so from what I'm hearing, but I'm not, to- I, don't, I don't know that 100%. So um, in 2006, Boulder District Attorney Mary Lacey took over the case she agreed with the federal prosecutor that the intr- the intruder theory was more plausible than the Ramseys killing their daughter. Under Lacey's lead, investigators developed a DNA profile from the touch DNA. Um, in 2008, Lacey released a statement detailing the DNA evidence and fully exonerating the, fa- the Ramsey family. In 2010, the case was officially reopened with renewed focus on the DNA samples. Further testing has been conducted on the samples, and experts now believe that the sample is actually from two individuals rather than one. Okay. In 2016, it was announced that the DNA would be sent to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation to be tested using more modern methods, and authorities hope to develop an even stronger DNA profile of the killer. So in 2016, CBS aired the case of JonBenet Ramsey, which implied um, her... Her then nine-year-old brother, Burke, was the killer, despite the fact that he was cleared by the DNA evidence that proved the existence of an intruder. Burke filed a $750 million lawsuit against CBS for defamation. The case was settled in 2019. While the terms of the settlement were not disclosed, his lawyer stated that the case was amicably resolved to the satisfaction of all parties. Because I have... 
have heard the theory that he, you know, for whatever reason, there was, like, sibling rivalry. I mean, not for nothing, but like we talked about before, he's the older sibling. His sister is named after both parents. He is not. His sister is the focus of all the attention, like, you know, and and I'm not condoning it, but there's some validity there, and, you know, hitting her over the head with something as a child and not understanding the, you know, that you can kill somebody by hitting them over the head with something. Yeah. I do see plausibility in that. And that, I mean, that's just one of the theories that I've, I've heard potentially happen. Absolutely. So I, this is going to be a really long episode guys. And I apologize because there's just like, so there's so much. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Phil. And together, we host the History's B-Side podcast. You know, history is full of amazing stories and memorable people, but we don't care about them. Every week, we break down history's biggest stories and the forgotten people who made them happen. We're not historians. We're just two guys who enjoy a great story and plenty of laughs. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Or follow at History's B-Side on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. This is History's B-Side. So if we sound a little different, it is because it is the next day. We are finishing this (laughs) recording because life guys life happens and also we're inside now so you probably aren't going to be hearing all the stuff that you were hearing in the background but we were enjoying sitting outside so yeah no for real I think honest to god I don't think they're doing any work today on the house <sighs> next door I, I they literally were like you know we do work the one time that you guys are yeah, recording absolutely on a Monday Monday afternoon so anyway I am going to <clears throat> excuse my morning voice pick up where we left off. So there are eight suspects that, eight possible suspects that a lot of people talk about when they talk about theories. Um, So I want to dive into just those eight suspects now and just give you a little bit more background. So first is uh, JonBenet's mother, Patsy. So she was always kind of the one of the main people that that people are looking at for you know obvious reasons she is the mother so um though both her and her husband were uh were formally exonerated in 2008 um there is still a thought that um she may have that she may have done it uh and so the potential motive is that she um, murdered her daughter in a fit of rage over bedwetting um, and then tried to cover it up. So from the outside, Patsy was a pleasant and influential suburban mother of two known for her beauty pageant win and lavish Christmas parties that she threw every year. Still, there are several pieces of evidence that suggest she may have had more to do with the crime than she let on. First, it's been speculated that while cleaning up yet another one of JonBenet's bedwetting accidents, which is said to have occurred with some frequency. Um, I mean, she so, was six. She was six. That's kind of a thing that that's, six-year-olds do. It is. Um, you know, I 
I, you know, bedwetting can also be a sign of other things too. I don't, you know, I don't want to speculate. Um, Do you know what else it can be a sign of? Um, so bedwetting can also be a sign of um, sexual abuse. Oh my God. Okay. I did not know that. That is also, th- wow, that's terrible. Yeah. Horrible. So hopefully like that is not the case. And like, she's just six and she's wetting her bed because, you know, she's six. Well, I mean, somebody did wipe her vagina clean. Well, that's, that's the concerning. The- that's the only reason that I bring that up is just because of that part. Um, so yeah. Um, so, uh, Patsy, um, so this is, this is what is speculated that, that Patsy flipped a switch and slammed the little girl's head against the side of a hard blunt surface, like a bathtub. Um, Second, JonBenet was found with a rope around her neck, tightened by a homemade garret determined to have been fashioned out of a paintbrush taken from Patsy's paint kit that lay nearby. Third, the most bizarre ransom note in the history of ransom notes, mm-hmm. uh, Patsy said she discovered a two and a half page ransom note on one of the rungs down the spiral staircase that led to the basement where JonBenet's body was found. Written in strange uh uh, written, written in strange verbiage that seemed to have been lifted from a classical crime film, and it the note demanded the hundred eighteen thousand by uh, by to be given in foreign faction by ten a.m. the next day, which was later figured out to be the same amount of as John Ramsey's uh, Christmas bonus from his company. So now, in this theory. I don't know if you know this. Do people think that the father knew about it and was also in on the cover-up or was he unaware? So we'll get to him next as the next suspect. Oh, um, God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> felt so great. Um, so some sources have speculated that Patsy wrote the note herself in a moment of panic after realizing what she had done. Um, but the handwriting analysis, so convincing, were eventually found to be inconclusive. It was determined that the note had been written on a piece of Patsy's stationery from inside the home with her own pen. Um, in the years following the murder, Patsy appeared extremely defensive, once even hashing it out with a naysayer on Larry King Live, while family friends insisted that Patsy adored John Bonet and would never um, have hurt her. Um, these people in the press, man, like, what yeah. are you doing? I know, I know. So that's the that's the theory behind Patsy. I mean, yeah, I could see that's that's very um, very clear, pointing at her. Like a lot of those things do point at Patsy. Um, so that that's that's Patsy. So here's here's the father. So here's John. So police arrive at the crime scene the morning of after Christmas um, to find no footprints in the snow or signs of a possible intruder. So see, it says it again, signs of no signs of a possible intruder. But then mm-hmm. we had that one mention of the broken a window. Print. Yeah, and a boot print. And a boot too, print. Right? Yeah. So it's it's very confusing to me. I Like there's so much conflicting evidence. So uh, Linda Ernt, the first police officer to arrive at the scene that morning, looked around the house and found nothing. Eventually, she sent John and his neighbor to search the house for anything unusual. Ramsey made a beeline straight for the basement where he immediately found his daughter. Though he'd been told to leave everything where he found it, he picked her up, carried the body um, upstairs, removed a piece of tape from her mouth, and placed her down. He even covered her up with a a throw blanket, further destroying vital evidence. So like we had said before, go on. I mean, you know, for a little bit, it's like, Okay, police tell you to touch nothing. 
but then you see your dead daughter who's been murdered like that is traumatic I can see everything going out the window and you being like oh my god I have to pick her up like I can't believe there's tape on her mouth like whatever but covering her with like a blanket like it's it just goes a little too far like I was totally like okay I could I could advocate for him I could see like you know he's devastated he's not he's no longer thinking clearly like maybe he didn't hear the police clearly because he's so devastated like that all does happen but it's like I could imagine I mean I can't but if I I think if I saw a deceased loved one I don't know that I would pick them up I think it would be more like I'd be frozen in place like I mean, but again, there's that whole argument of everybody grieves differently. I just think there's a little, there's a lot that goes on there. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, he does a lot of different, he takes a lot of different actions and whether that's grief or like he knows something, it's like so hard to say. So at this point, this is when Linda Ernst started to feel that maybe he knew more. Um, Ernst had made no secret of her suspicion towards the family. So while uh, John John's unseen discovery of the body was suggested to have been a fault, um, been the fault of a botched police investigation, some believe it's strange that the in, uh, that the intuition alone would lead a person to ad- admittedly un- to an admittedly unused part of the house. So something else I want to point out that I, I I'm just thinking of now. So the note, the ransom note was found on the rung of the stairs that lead to the basement Mm -hmm. but nobody checked the basement I was thinking that too when you had said that like isn't that bizarre like I feel like if I found if you found found if I found something like if I'm an investigator right and I found a note some like like on the stairs to the basement I think I would I mean I wouldn't I mean if I was the investigator I'd go to the basement but if I was (laughs) me at home I would not go to the basement I'd be like I found the note here and then I don't but know. you need to check it uh, yeah see I mean I could see it being like the police don't think that she's in the house because this could this seems a lot like a kidnapping so it's, she probably did get kidnapped and she probably got snatched from her room however you're correct you do have to be thorough And additionally, I think if I was a parent and I didn't want to go into the basement, like let's say I was too freaked out, I didn't want to go into the basement, I would have had them go in. But also, I mean, when you're a parent, before you even call 911, you are checking every place in that house, around that house. Everywhere, 100%. so Ernst told ABC News in 1999 that she found other actions of their of theirs suspicious too, like how John and Patsy let the 10 a.m. deadline in the $180,000 uh, ransom note slip by, $118 mm-hmm. ransom note slip by without a word. Um, Ernst described kneeling beside John Bonet's body inches away from John Ramsey, so convinced that the murderer was in the house with her that she claimed to have quietly counted the bullets in her holster just in case she had to use one. Oh my god! So that's interesting. Um, I mean, Ernst- the, the letting the I mean, it's telling that you you just let the well they they didn't find her until after ten. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, that's a big one too, because I would be panicked as a parent too, you know? Absolutely. You'd be like, I'd be like, we have to get the, we have to like, 
like do something. We have to get this together, like blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So Art wasn't the only one who found John's behavior that morning uh, strange. A detective on the scene claimed to have overheard John making arrangements to fly the family to Atlanta just hours after the murder. John later admitted to this, saying that they'd been asked to leave the house and just wanted to go home to Atlanta where they lived for over 25 years. So I don't know. So I don't know whether this is like before or after they had found her. If mm-hmm. it was before they had found her, then I would not want to be anywhere, but like as close to possible as that to that house. But if, if it was after, after, then yeah. sure, I could see that. Yeah. Um. So let's see here. Um. So John said. Um, so then, so innuendo of sexual abuse began to circulate, though no evidence was ever found to prove these allegations. I mean, I can see why there was speculation. I mean, based on what they found in the autopsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's John said, a person doesn't go through their their lives as a normal human being one night turn into a monster, slaughter their daughter, go to bed, get up, act normal from there. That doesn't just happen. Well, you're right. Absolutely. But but things are hidden. <laughs> correct. Correct. So, but he was also exonerated with his wife in 2008 um, when that touch DNA testing cleared all three of them. But, you know, I like to go back to, it was, it was the nineties. Uh, I mean, obviously 2008 is when they were exonerated, but I mean, our, our testing and everything is so much better now. Like, I don't know. It is so hard to refute DNA evidence. Mm -hmm. Like that is the thing that gets me is that, like you said, the blood profile that they have doesn't, it doesn't fit. No. And anyone, they they thought it it was one person and then they found out later it was two people like, and they put it in CODIS and nothing came up either, which is. So that that person is not in CODIS. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. This is this case is I knew it was like it's, insane, but it's insane. Yeah, it is. This poor so, little girl. I know this poor little oh, so sweet. Six years old. So oh next God. so now the third suspect, the brother. So there was a lot of speculation around Burke. Um Okay, so um the parents tried really hard to shield Burke from the press for years after the murder and um Judging from his recent very strange interview with Dr. Phil, so this article that I'm reading here, um, where I got some of this info, it was written in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably a good idea. <laughs> so Burke, who was formally also formally exonerated in 28, uh, 2008, along with his parents, made a decision to quote unquote clear the air in this interview in 2016 with, with, uh, with Dr. Phil. He... So this is what the, how this article described him. He creepily grinned through Dr. Lin, Dr. Phil's line of questioning that ran down the chain of events leading up to the night in question. Um, I mean, he could have just been uncomfortable and like maybe that came off as creepy. Who knows? Um, so soon after CBS aired the case of John Benet Ramsey, a two-part documentary that reinvestigated the evidence of the crime with a select group of FBI and forensic experts, including retired profiler Jim Clement, uh, and Clementi, or is it Clement? I always forget how his name is pronounced. I'm not sure. Um, and former uh, Scotland Yard behavioral analyst, uh, Laura Richards. The documentary lean, 
uh, leaned their suspicions towards Burke as close as they possibly could without making any kind of formal accusation. Um, the CBS team set up a compelling theory. So famed forensic investigator Werner Spitz review, review of John Binet's autopsy included a quote unquote perfectly rectangular defect that he suspected came from a blow to the little girl's head with a blunt heavy flashlight seen in a photo on the kitchen court uh, kitchen counter in the crime scene photos he claimed the cl- the flashlight fit the eight and a half inch gash in her skull to perfection quote unquote however no trace evidence of either john benet nor burke was found on the flashlight the flashlight became an even more suspicious became even more suspicious when tied to the pineapple scenario, a theory that suggested Jamine had taken a slice of fruit from Burke's late night snack found on the dining room table. An undigested piece of pineapple was found in the child's stomach uh, during the autopsy, leading him to strike her with a nearby flashlight out of anger. Lastly, the wounds of Jamine's back, previously assumed to have come from an encounter with a stun gun. I never read about that, were consistent with the edges of one of Burke's toy train tracks, which Spitz suggested may have been used by Burke to poke his sister's unconscious body for a response. However, Burke shot back immediately after the special aired. Um, His attorney, L. L. Lynn Wood, claiming that CBS perpetrated a fraud on its viewers, then then a week after this article came out, Wood filed a $150 million lawsuit, which we read, which I had, had mentioned previously for defamation. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the case for Burke. Do we know? Did he win that lawsuit? Do we know? Um, so I believe he did win that lawsuit okay. for defamation. So we're going to get into the other suspects. But so here's my thing. The, the big thing I keep coming back to is that ransom note, the 118, very specific $118,000. Mm-hmm. And the reason I come back to that is the person, the person who killed her, this is my, like, I'm not accusing anybody, but like, this is my. Intimately knows her. Yeah. Intimately. They do. They know her. It was not a random person. It couldn't have been. How would they have known about the $118,000? Right. And you're right. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody within the family. No. But, but it's someone knew, with, it's someone close. Yeah. Yeah. Who anybody, I mean, maybe, maybe John was a showboat. And so maybe he was showing his bonus check around. So it's mm-hmm. literally anybody that he told about his check. Yeah. That's the, like, right. that's the circle is small. Like the circle of suspects has to be small. It can't just be like a random intruder. So now we move on to the town drifter, and I've heard this theory before. Um, So Gary Olivia was a 32-year-old known sex offender in Boulder when JonBenet was uh, found strangled. Um, The convicted pedophile had been uh, uh, living in the area on and off when police allegedly found a magazine cutout of JonBenet in his backpack after he was apprehended on a drug charge in 2000. He was soon... Uh, released but suspicions remained how did he have that because we didn't have facebook or anything he so it was a magazine cutout oh yeah from in this they found this in his bag in 2000 so this was years 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 and years later so the ramsey's family longtime investigator ollie gray once referred to olivia's ties to john benet as a 
bombshell arrest in the case and lambasted the Boulder PD for failing to consider him as a more credible suspect. Soon after, Olivia's uh, high school friend, Michael Vale, stepped forward with an allegation supporting Gary's suspicion. Vale claimed that not long after the murder, a distraught Olivia had called him on the phone and confessed to his longtime pal to have hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl, quote unquote. Vale revealed to In Touch magazine earlier this year that he was particularly unsettled by the how the um, knots used to fashion the garret that strangled John Bonet were similar to those used in an incident where Olivia attempted to choke his mother with a telephone cord. Um, so Vale said, "My blood ran cold when I read that." Uh, Olivia was also rumored to have possibly have possible connections to a theory that links the marks around Jomini's body to an encounter with a stun gun. So this is where the stun gun comes Mm -hmm. in. Olivia had one on him at the time of his initial arrest. While he too was cleared by DNA testing for Jomini's murder, he was recently charged with two counts of sexual exploitation of a child for possessing child pornography. So once again, is this a horrible per- like is this man does horrible things a hundred a hundred percent like it, like I, he is is he guilty of this murder though i still go back to that hundred eighteen thousand dollars. is there a way that he could have known about it did he have some connection to the family if he did then yeah like that makes total sense but i have to go back to that like how would he have known yeah no yeah the the 118 is like I, I literally don't know like right? I, I i don't know because know. now a piece of me is like did some like random person kill her and then her her mom came downstairs and saw her and freaked out and thought somebody in the house did it and then wrote the note and well, like so that's another right like that could be another potential explanation right like we don't know like maybe it's like the twists and turns like there's so many things that could have happened but at the same token if but if somebody else did it why would you go through all the trouble to like i don't i don't even know i i know don't listen to me i don't even know what to say because i am just i'm lost i'm very confused (laughs) same same so now here's the electrician so this is the next person so another suspect um ollie gray was an electrician uh was an electrician named oh so excuse me excuse me no ollie gray is the person who who suspected this electrician um who worked nearby in an auto salvage yard So he referred to this electrician as a hellraiser, quote unquote, tried to um, uh, tied to an alleged property dispute involving the Ramses. So could that have served as a possible motive to seek revenge on the family and kidnap John Bonet? Um, It's been suspected that speculated that the 26 year old electrician caught wind that he could be a suspect in the case. Officials found the, the boot print allegedly similar to his near the Ramsey's home. Um, he actually committed suicide. Uh, excuse me. He completed suicide before anyone could uh, get to him. Um, his death occurred two days after a 1997 press conference announcing that the Boulder DA was zeroing in on a new suspect. However, so is that this the remains boot- unclear. Is that the boot print? That's what they speculate. So, I mean, this could potentially be a sus. Like, there's yeah. some things about this. Like, 
the boot print, right? We don't know based on DNA. Um, oh, he was actually, no, excuse me. He was cleared by both DNA. Um, so he was also cleared by DNA. So how do they have so many suspects and DNA? I know. What? Like I mean, the only how thing that, that I was even a thing. I know. Cause I was thinking, well, like, you know, like it's possible as the electrician, like maybe he did know about the Christmas bonus, like blah, blah, blah. But the DNA thing, right? It's just like, whatever. So the next suspect is the school teacher. So in 2006, a former school teacher, uh, John Carr, so this is the man who confessed out of the blue, um, Carr was arrested in Thailand where he'd been living on the lam after facing child pornography charges in the U.S. Oh, yeah. God. Yuck. So the now 51-year-old initially brought himself to the um, himself into the mess by reaching out to the University of Colorado uh, Boulder professor named Mark uh, Michael Tracy over email in regards to a documentary Tracy was making on the case. Once those emails took a disturbing turn, revealing the, his uh, fascination with John Bonet, Tracy reported Carter to the police who arrested him in Bangkok as a possible suspect. He was immediately flown to Boulder to question uh, for questioning, but with ultimately was ultimately cleared after his DNA failed to match the profile of an unknown male found on the waistband of John Bonet's long johns. Carr's demented confession involved a series of diary entries allegedly written from the scene of the crime in one dramatic account. Um, Carr recalls, calls it a love game game gone wrong. And there's some other like really gross stuff that he says also. Um, Carr's alleged involvement broke, alleged involvement broke international headlines and um, his earnest insistence that he had killed her was enough to set off the media, the media, of course, because, yeah, um, he was ultimately dismissed as a suspect um, altogether all and written off as a pedophile who was after notori- notoriety and fame. Officials also, f- however, failed to verify that he was even in Boulder. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so he now is living under a new identity uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So this person kind of sounds like he didn't even really have any connection to this. And he just kind of had some like really sick fascination with it. I, I don't know. So then we have the housekeeper. So Linda Hoffman Pugh had worked for the family as our housekeeper and her husband Mervyn was their handyman. So it wasn't surprising that she was known to carry a key to the home. And during the investigation, um, she didn't even begin to file, uh, excuse me, Hoffman didn't even begin to fit the profile the police were after, white male, formerly convicted, 25 to 30 years old. But she didn't hold back on voicing her suspicion that Patsy Ramsey had accidentally killed John Bonet. That said, Patsy claimed to investigators that Hoffman was struggling for money and had asked for a loan of several thousand dollars, which Ramsey had declined. Uh, police showed up at the Pukes home the night of the murder and asked the, the 57 year old housekeeper to write, write the number of oh, this isn't the so police showed up at the Pukes at, at the Hoffman Puke home mm-hmm. the night after the murder, the murder and asked the housekeeper to write the number 118 on a piece of paper and reportedly took her fingerprints and several strands of hair. 
She then testified in front of the grand jury for a total of eight hours, including a statement against Patsy that read, quote unquote, I think she had multiple personalities. She'd be in a good mood and then she'd be cranky. She'd gotten arguments with JonBenet about wearing a dress or about a friend coming over. I had never seen Patsy so upset. The Hoffman puke theory asserted that the housekeeper led to led a trusting John Bonet to the basement that night in an attempt to trick her employers to leave money for her ransom. Um, it's possible that she could have seen like the pay stub for that $118. Familiar with the, both the home and the family's schedule, Hoffman puke made a convenient suspect and without an alibi, she was asleep in bed while her husband allegedly slept on the couch. There was no room to speculate she could have been involved. Uh, so far, so far, all evidence implicating her in the case is circumstantial, um, and she was never formally accused of this crime. So this is the housekeeper. This is the housekeeper. And they're basically saying that she was trying to f- frame the parents so that... Well, they're saying that she... See, it doesn't make sense, right? They, they were saying that, she's, that she was trying to, like, hold hold JonBenet to get the $118,000. But the thing that I just keep going back to, so the thing that keeps, is so confused, and I know this is why everybody's like, just can't, this case is just wild, is that why write the ransom note, but then she is like brutalized this little this poor little thing is brutalized like why is she murdered i have no idea like so we we talked about the Lindbergh baby right there were the there were there was the ransom and that whole thing and like they but like i don't know i don't know the other thing to note is that her so her her husband was also the handyman at the house they don't mention him at all not that I'm like accusing him or anything, but like that's another line of questioning. Maybe they didn't go down. So mm-hmm. now we have the last suspect, the town Santa. So, so I mean, um, the idea of I don't know if, if you and Jeff have plans to do this, so like forgive me, <laughs> but the idea of like bringing your child to sit on the lap of a random man, it's kind of weird. I mean, it is. Granted, I do have like a friend who's a mall Santa. I used to work with him. Loveliest man. And I would bring my child to sit on his lap. 150%. Fair enough. But it's just, what? It's so, and our parents did it. And they were like, okay, go sit on the lap of this man man. who you know is not Santa. Um, I know it it is. It is kind of, you say that now and it's a very bizarre I mean, if, if you want to bring Elia, I'll tell you where to go because it's my that friend. Would, but other than that, that would be ideal. That would be <laughs> ideal. Um, so the mall Santa, so he has now since passed away. He was a, so he was a friend of the Ramses who had dressed up as Santa the week before the murder to entertain the neighborhood children at one of Patsy's Christmas part Christmas parties. Um, to do the possibility that he did it had anything to do with it is extremely unlikely though so he was rumored to have paid little to no attention to to john benet going so far as to arrange a secret visit from santa on christmas um so supposedly he had chosen john benet to be his quote-unquote uh 
Oh, excuse me. He is rumored to have paid a little too much attention to her. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was like, wait a second. Yes. Going so far as to arrange a quote-unquote secret visit with Santa on Christmas. Supposedly, he had chosen JonBenet to be his quote-unquote special friend, going so far as to bring a vial of glitter gifted to him by the six-year-old with him into heart surgery. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like... So that's a little creepy. Uh, even stranger, he asked his wife to mix the gold glitter in his ashes where were he to die. He didn't know this girl, right? Well, it says that he was a friend of the Ramses, but they don't go any further into that. Um, so this particular story generated buzz in the Denver Post, but failed failed to amount to anything more than se- uh, sensationalized character uh like to to basically um like for defamation of this friendly old man i i don't know i mean i think that like some of that stuff is kind of like worth investigating like it's pretty creepy (laughs) yeah Um, i'm kidding i mean but you got a tube of glitter yeah and you want to yeah it's what yeah 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 exactly so okay (laughs) so those are those are the eight suspects that they've laid out so now this is the last part. This is this article came out in 2021 because there was a new um, documentary that came out about John Bonet. I think it was on um, I forget which network, which network it was on, but um, so so basically um, this this is this is what we're looking at here. So the objective of the documentary was to bring the the case back into the spotlight it had been years you know since it had been looked at again um so john john and burke said they hope that um this will keep memories fresh for people and that they know of anything it'll compel them to come forward um so when the reality of it is that there is so much physical evidence and there is an abundance of evidence available. So this thinking is what sparked the continued work of people like Roscoe J. Clark and Derek Bromerich, uh, who recently revealed that they gathered a DNA sample from a discarded cigarette from an individual they've kept a close eye on and they believe may be responsible. So this will give, um, give all the... This will give all of the options, Clark said, according to Radar. This would be the breakthrough everyone has been waiting for during the past 24 years, and it's based on hard evidence of forensic science. Um, so he said, I'm 100% perfect positive we have the right suspect and can't rule this person out. So today there are several suspects who are popping up in the headlines with the latest going unnamed as they look into this new DNA evidence. So this this new DNA evidence just was, or quote unquote new evidence was just found uh, last month. So May 23rd, 2021. Oh, wow. So basically what a lot of these investigators are saying is like, we've come this far, we have all of this evidence, like we should be able to solve this case. So these are all the theories we have. These are, this is all the information we have. There's like a lot of conflicting information too. Um, it's, you know, it's a really, really sad and complicated case. And I, I hope it gets solved because it's just, I think it's one of the, like I said, like my fear, my fear of basements comes from this case, um, because we were so little when it happened. And 
I really would love to see justice for this poor little girl because I feel like it gets so sensationalized um, and she she just like in a way like gets forgotten in all of like the jumbling of all of the facts and whatever and all the focus on the family and whatever. So anyway, that is the case of JonBenet Ramsey. Um, there's so much, so much information um, and also no information all at the same time. Right. That I thought I'd learn more. I think I just got more confused. Uh, right. Ditto. Ditto. I really wonder if they'll ever be able to figure it out, but it, it does. It kind of sounds like they know who did it, but there's just not enough evidence to yeah. convict that person, whoever that person may be. I mean, yeah, I know people have like their theories and their speculations, but we know that the major evidence they they're going to hold close to the chest. So they're could be something that we have no idea of that completely flips the case on its head. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. We have all of our theories and our speculation, but like there's probably some pieces of evidence that like really hold this case together that we just aren't even aware of. And if we knew about it, we'd be like, oh my gosh, but we don't well, know. There's got to be something there because the evidence doesn't all add up either. It doesn't. That's why it, there's like these random suspects, like who don't even make sense half the yeah. time. Well, Thank you for researching that because that was a, an adventure. It was an adventure. And I hope that you guys also took a break in between the beginning and yeah. end of this case because it is going to be a long one. We'd also love to hear who you think it is also. Yeah, because... what are what are your theories? Like, what, what are your thoughts on this case? Like, is there anything that you've heard that we didn't cover? There was so much information mm-hmm. out there. It was really hard to, like, make sure I covered all pieces of it. But um, if there's like some other information and maybe you're like, you've been doing research into this for years, let us know. I, I'm very curious about other theories. God, that it's just, I mean, this case has been talked about for God, 24 25, years, 25 years now. 20, yeah. And it's just, it's sad that like this poor little girl just nobody really has any idea what happened I know and we're just we're we're exactly where we exactly where we were 24 years ago like we're like nothing has changed or correct (laughs) well on a happier note please uh, please please I love Colorado so much I know I talked about that at the beginning and so I think everybody should go visit and I really want to go visit Boulder because again like we talked about before Boulder people Boulderians, as I like to call them, are a quirky folk, and I'm here for it. So this article that I have is from Boulder, Colorado, USA, and it's called You Can't Make This Shit Up. It's Weirdly Wonderful Things to Do in Boulder. I love it. Yes. Yep. So here in here in the People's Republic of Boulder, <laughs> 25 miles surrounded by reality, we have a bit of a reputation for being unique and frankly we wouldn't have it any other way if you too like to let your freak flag fly here's how to get in on some decidedly unconventional fun so first thing tell your friends you're going forest bathing despite how it sounds this activity has nothing to do with an actual bath of the tub and suds sort the concept of forest bathing comes from a japanese tradition called shinrin yoku It's a chance to simply unplug and metaphorically bathe yourself in the splendor and sensory delights of nature. 
Boulder's forest bathing is run by the city of Boulder, open space and mountain parks and all sorts of nature events happen regularly. So that sounds kind of cool. That sounds this awesome. is this is one that I would 100% do. It's so funny. So number 2, go tubing in your tie and loafers. <laughs> Tube to work day is a cherished annual tradition that sees Boulderites, oh they're called Boulderites, not Boulderians. <laughs> that I like sees bold, I like Boulder Boulderians, Boulderians. <laughs> That sees Boulderites don their best business attire and splash into Boulder Creek to tube right through downtown this event starts at the even g fine park but you can catch the view of the hilarious action example spectators dangling breakfast from atop bridges wait spectator oh spectators dangling breakfast atop bridges for tubers to grab anywhere along the creek near downtown it happens in mid-july and you're welcome to join in but register first don't forget gotta register we're very serious i don't think i can share my screen really no i can't share it it's gonna be mad at me again like we did before (laughs) but it's literally this picture of a guy he's got like a it might be a real laptop that he just doesn't use anymore he's like literally in an inner tube and a suit and tie on his computer um number three hike the flat irons like a weirdo over the years, folks have embraced Boulder's creative, outdoor-loving spirit by scaling the Flatiron Mountains in full scuba gear, on hobby horses, by moonlight, Ooh. on roller skates, that is not easy, nope. and in birthday suits. Oh. Remember, safety first, but if the spirit moves you to say, hike the Flatirons while in your skivvies, well, have at it. Oh my goodness. Is it, is it Portland, Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine? That's like, keep it weird. Like what's who, who has the, that saying? I forget. It might be Oregon because I don't remember Maine saying that, but I don't know everything about Maine either. So Portland, let's say, keep it weird. Portland doesn't tell me which Portland it is though. <laughs> Cause that's confusing. There are more, there's more than one there's probably There's more than ton. two. There's a ton, yeah. Okay, it's Oregon. So number four, drink potions filled with baby laughter. Pick up some <laughs> Shine Potions, a section of house-made herbal tonics. Each flavor is made with specific intentions and exposed to particular sound waves and gemstones to absorb those energies. Try Fairy Bubbles, which has turned, which has been tuned to the sound of laughing babies and wind in the trees and to the energy of rose quartz, for example. <laughs> and then it says, well, then. It says, yeah, we can't believe we just wrote that sentence either. <laughs> but it's really tasty. <laughs> like, I just struggled to say that. And I was like, okay, I'm justified because that was a hard sentence. Yeah, for sure. Oh, this one's a good one. You're going to like this one. I'm ready. Number six, play the Oregon Trail on an Apple II. <gasps> sure your grandmother might have an old mac in the garage but does it still work (laughs) all of the vintage devices 35 laptops 73 desktop computers 22 handheld devices and 10 game consoles at boulder's media archaeology lab a media archaeology lab (laughs) on the university of colorado campus are functioning and you can take a walk right down memory lane by playing old games on them the hours of the lab are a little funky of course so check the website, but this is a must stop for anyone nostalgic for their Atari 2600, Apple IIe, Smith Corona typewriter, or Etch-a-Sketch animator. And literally, like, there's a picture oh. of it. It looks like, um, 
God, did you ever have a computer lab in your elementary school? Yes. Were you, did you have, did you have like storybook writer? Did you have any of that? I'm oh, trying to remember. You still I love prob- that. I probably did. I mean, well, you could like build pictures and then you could write a story around it. I would do oh, that every flip in time. I don't think we had that, but that sounds incredible. Loved it. So number seven, sip on Valor flavored oxygen. Flip through the encyclopedic menu at Tonic Urban Lounge, Boulder's Oxygen Bar, and you'll come across a page of 16 different aromas of oxygen that you can breathe in for a 10 to 40 minute session. I feel like I do that when I teach, except they're not nice aromas all the time. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Adolescence is a thrill sometimes. Mm, Okay. Indeeders. Among them is a clarity, a mix of basil, cardamom, and peppermint, or valor, a combo of spruce, rosewood, and frankincense. You just sit back and breathe. Great for those who need to chill out or are feeling a little bit worn down at Boulder's 5,430-foot altitude. There are also pages and pages of inventive cocktails, tonics, brews, elixirs, water kefirs, kombuchas, and desserts. That's, that's actually probably really smart because they are quite high above sea level and mm. sometimes you need a little oxygen boost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very true. Number eight, t- taste 5,000 year old beer. Like beer, like history, so does Travis Rupp, beer archaeologist at Avery Brewing Company. Yes, we said beer archaeologist. Rupp is responsible for researching how ancient civilizations created and consumed beer and then recreating that recipe for Avery to put it on tap. That, I mean, that's kind of amazing, wow. but like, what a job. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. Oh. <laughs> From an ancient Egyptian ale dating back to 3600 BC to a Peruvian brew from 1000 AD, oh. Avery has created eight ancient beers, which they showcase through an Ales of Antiquity dinner, which pairs their newest historical beer with the food they believe the people were eating at that time. Oh my gosh. That is so smart. That is so cool. That must be so, like, I love that. I want to do that. Um, but yeah, that's the, uh, that's the fun little things to do in Boulder. There's a couple more there, but I think those are kind of the highlights that we got for that. I love so that. go to Boulder, get your freak on, enjoy. Get your freak on. <gasps> your freak on. I know, right? I like it. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for uh, for lightening the mood with uh, with some bolder things. Um, that is very fun. Solve the case. Go do weird bolder things. Yes. After you solve the case, go uh, go do fun things <laughs> for as a reward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because whoever solves it deserves a big one. Big reward. Well, uh, I think that's what we got for this week <laughs> and we, we hope you guys enjoy it because it's a little bit of a mishmash, but yes, you're here for it by now. Yes. So I, we hope so. Well, thank you guys we for listening. You. Yeah. We will see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Fancy Town Crimes. Our cover art and editing is by me, Taylor Adams. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fancy Town Crimes. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share with us, email us at fancytowncrimespodcast at gmail.com. 
Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to spread the news. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the shenanigans going. 